Hello and welcome to the November 30th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. everybody and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It is great to have everybody here with me today on this gloomy and doomy, uh, thank goodness, Friday morning here in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. And of course, it's always wonderful to be out there with you as well, although my voice might sound a little bit raspy and low and probably not the same that it might always sound. Uh, It's early morning here in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. And as you all know, I typically don't record very much in my house anymore. A lot of times it's done at work, Uh, obviously not during work time, but when I'm due for a break, um, I go out in my car and I will make sure that I record an episode, but I felt the need to do so this morning upon waking up, number one, because I felt like I needed to do something valuable, considering the fact that I promised myself before bed last night that I would go to the gym, and of course, I never got up to go. Uh, it's, it's just so ironic, so strange that I woke up, no problem, but yet I had no desire to go. Um, part of much of what I'm feeling like as of late, and we'll get into that in a moment, I just had absolutely no desire to go, and again, it's not like I slept late, uh, but... I got up and I just could not get myself going, no matter what. And I I actually laid in bed for a while and I thought about potentially recording a podcast because I said to myself again, I think it's important that I do something um, constructive here in the early morning hours and uh, I wasn't going to. And then when I got up and I walked over through the kitchen to prepare a cup of coffee, which I have not had yet, by the way, Um, I looked over at my medication uh, pillbox, and I saw laying out was last night's dose. Isn't that wonderful? A perfect thing for Mr. Joe to do in a time when he needs his medication most is to just skip it. And you want to know something, guys? This is kind of indicative of the way that my life has gone over the last week or so. I say that I wanted to write, uh, uh, record a podcast this morning, obviously, again, because it's important for you and it's important for me. But at the same token, I don't know what kind of time I'm going to have today. I've been working throughout the day without lunch breaks. Uh, Work has been extremely stressful. And I say that only because, as you all know, I'm opening up five new businesses or five new plants, so I uh, would would uh, refer to that too. But in the process of doing that, which takes a heck of a lot of time to do, the people that will be working at each of those plants, I'm responsible for training them as well. So when a week comes where I have to train them, Everything else in regards to opening up the new business is shot. And I get so far behind and so stressed out. And you know what? I I normally can handle the stress 
normally not a problem. I'm normally able to handle work stress, and for what it's worth, I have been handling it. I really have. There are no visible signs of me being stressed out at work. When I'm at work, I'm fine. And, you know, I think I think at some point you people out there are going to think that Mr. Joe is much more of a wackadoo than I claim to be because here's what the deal is, everybody. My week has been shot basically because of the way that I feel mentally in terms of what is happening with this front tooth. And again, I know things can be worse. But I have gone through so many years of pain, literally physical pain, embarrassment, hiding, um, and just pure disgust over this front tooth based on so many different aspects of the entire process, whether it was a failing implant, laying in a, a dentist chair crying because I thought it would never happen, finally getting it to happen, never really getting through the situation without some kind of drama, and of course this being no different, and um, ultimately the ENT doctor called me with the radiology report and went on to tell me that everything was clear in my sinuses, and her and another doctor both looked at the report because they wanted to just make sure, and her words to me were, it's dental. So, of course, at that point, I'm saying to myself, oh, boy, well, clearly I have to address this now. So the minute I hung up the phone with her, I called my surgeon, and uh, I went there. I went there on a lunch break, and it was an extended lunch break, and I really didn't care because I had to do what I had to do. And I laid in that surgeon chair, and my God, that surgeon felt horrible for me because what we did was we took a giant close-up x-ray of just that particular implant, eliminated every piece of my mouth except for that part, a close-up like I've never seen before, where you could literally see every aspect of the screw, every aspect of the bone, every aspect of the implantation, uh, just as close up as you can possibly get. And once again, the doctor looked at it, and I have to agree with him. Upon looking at it myself, he said if he was to put an implant, a successful implant x-ray into a magazine, he would choose mine. And by God, by looking at it, I felt the same way because I now know what I'm looking at. <laughs> and... Once again, he grabbed it, he shook it, he, 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 went, he went bananas, literally, on this tooth. And him and the nurse were in, and they talked to the old other surgeons, and they said, we're baffled. Joe, we're absolutely baffled. And he said, by the, by the place that you're pointing under your nose, he goes, it's pretty evident that it's the screw. He goes, but we are showing no signs of failure, and I don't even see an infection up in there. But he admitted that he knows clearly something is wrong with the implant, and he also believes that I'm clearly infected again, although doesn't seem to think that it's at a point where um, I needed antibiotics, especially because I've been on them so many times. He just, he just didn't want to put me on them. Now, came up with two scenarios. One, which I have an appointment on Tuesday. I need to go to my dentist. I need to rip that implant off 
meaning the crown, I need to then go directly to my surgeon, and he's going to do what's called a, re a reverse torque test, which basically means he's going to slap a wrench onto my implant and counterclockwise twist the screw with a certain amount of pressure to see if it comes loose. And if it maintains its stability during the counterclockwise twist, then I'm good. If it cracks the bone and falls out, then obviously all along it's, it's been failing and you know it's just been a mystery and although it presented healthy and well, that's where the pain is coming from. It's just a failing implant that is taking some time to rear its ugly head. Uh, but unfortunately, a procedure like this will speed up the process and will cause me a failed implant, uh, saving me the elongated disappointment or stress, I guess you could say, in which I will then have to go back to my dentist and figure something out because I'll probably be without a tooth. Well, uh, clearly, I'll be without a tooth at that point. Now, if it passes the test, I'll go back and we'll put that tooth back on. And then we'll be even more confused because we still won't know where it's coming. But here's the other thing. And he made a lot of sense, and I have to tell you, I don't want to say it might be wishful thinking, but if I have not mentioned before, Above the fake tooth in the front of my mouth, you can actually see, because it's a front tooth and the way that the screw is positioned, you can see the screw protruding out of the gum, and then it leads into the fake tooth. And because of that, the dentist decided that it would be a wise idea, and I believe it's called a gingival, gingival, I don't, I don't remember, but think about this. It's a fake piece of gum. It's a cosmetic piece of gum that's supposed to blend in with your other gum, and it covers the screw. And, you know, the doctor said to me, he goes, Joe, have you been cleaning in there? Do you have a water pick? And I said, yeah, doc. I said, I get in there. I go, listen, they didn't teach me properly the first time around, and it was hurting when I was cleaning it, and I thought for sure that that would clear up my infection, and it started to feel a little bit better. But, you know, then it came right back. So he said, all right, well, I guess we could eliminate that because you're taking care of your oral hygiene. You're getting in there. You have a water pick. So let's just stick with this plan. But, you know, that idea just, it didn't leave me. And when I came home, I took a piece of floss and I made sure that I got into all the spots. And I have to tell you, there was one spot up top to the left of the fake gum, so to speak, that I literally could not get into. I thought I was hitting it from another angle, but I wasn't. And I have been tearing that part apart, literally, which, by the way, is indicative to me that something is wrong and that that gum piece is not placed properly because I should not have to struggle for 15 minutes to try to get a piece of floss into a particular place to clean it. And then once I get in there, it hurts. To me, it sounds like there's an infection there right where it hurts and it's kind of creeped its way up into the bone. Because here's what I'll say, and this is why I don't want to jinx myself. As I've been cleaning that spot, 
I feel less pressure underneath my nose. So, God help me. I mean, listen, the overall outcome will be, if that's what it is, I will be so grateful. But at the same token, I'll say to myself, what the heck took you idiots so long to figure this out, especially my dentist, who I happen to love. But nevertheless, this situation has caused an a tremendous amount of stress in my life. And whether you want to call me a baby and say, Mr. Joe, things could be worse, and I get that, for me, especially starting a new job in which I do a lot of speaking, a lot of filming, I'm on a lot of different uh, social media outlets, uh, they have film crews that come to talk to me, uh, I, I just did an interview yesterday for a major magazine or major paper, um, and you know, while that was over the phone, there are going to be times where I'm going to have people come to see me in person. And I'd like to have a tooth. And if I'm not going to have my tooth, that means I'm going to be walking around with a flipper again. And it's uncomfortable and it's just horrible. And I don't want to do that. I've done it already. I've done it for over two years. And I finally thought I was out of the woods, so to speak, and I'm not. So we'll take it one day at a time. But again, this has absolutely affected my mental stability. And as I promised, I called my doctor. And I suggested that we go up another 150 milligrams on the Wellbutrin, and her response to me was she wants to wait until after Tuesday, which is my dentist and my surgeon appointment, to see how I'm feeling. Because she, and I, and I got to tell you, I kind of agree. I really do. She made a statement that she believes that what I'm going through now is something called reactive depression. And again, that's reactive de depression. And if you if you're not un, if you're unsure as to what it is, I mean the the term itself is kind of self-explanatory. You're reacting to something within your life that is causing depression. And I, I will say this, just so you understand, this depression is just as real as a clinical depression. It's a it's more or less a form of depression that revolves around those uh, important or life-changing events that we go through in which, for example, Mr. Joe is so incredibly stressed out that it's brought me back into this feeling of hopelessness, these waves of intense anxiety. And even though apparently, I mean, according to my doctor, um, you know, they, it doesn't last long if you resolve the actual life-altering event, which we're hoping will, which will happen Tuesday, a lot of times it resolves on its own when you fix the things that are going wrong. It's still, without a doubt, unbearable. And it drains the heck out of you in a very short period of time. And that's what it's doing to Mr. Joe. I mean, just last night, uh, not last night, two nights ago, my good God, everybody, I took Advil for the first time in months because my head was so bad. And I don't know what happened to me, but I always had bad stomach reactions from it. Why I took it, I don't know. Just took it. And the effect it had on me from my um, indigestion standpoint at night, it woke me up in the middle of the night and I couldn't go back to bed. I had this gurgling going on in my throat, in my chest, in my stomach. I couldn't swallow. Uh, I had to take an an indigestion uh, 
medication that was prescribed for me over the for the doctor over the um, over the course of me taking antibiotics. Believe it or not, they would prescribe these to me as well. So I had to take that. It took over an hour to even help, and at some point, by two hours into it, um, you know, I started to get better. But I was essentially up all night dealing with this two nights ago. So sleep has been an issue. It's been an ongoing issue. I have to be more consistent with my medication without a doubt because when I'm skipping doses like this, um, it's not good because it's not helping the situation. My body is breaking down. I'm constantly stuffed up or constantly have a runny nose. I have a drip in the back of my mouth or my back of my throat. Who knows? Is this from the tooth? I don't know. Or am I just completely, totally broken down based on the depression in which, uh, you know, which has come on. And you know, I, I don't want to say that I've been suicidal because I haven't. But I'm definitely down. I'm definitely down more than I've been in a long time. And I would imagine that even with reactive depression, suicidal tendencies can be part of it. Um, more so of a person's way of reaching out for help. And I would also think that some people would view reactive depression um, as, a, as a state that does not last long enough to produce those kinds of suicidal feelings. However... I would imagine that in certain cases, it absolutely can produce suicidal tendencies because of the intensity of the symptoms. I could see it getting this bad or bad enough that a person becomes suicidal, even though it's reactive depression, because the symptoms themselves are just as real as the clinical depression, if that's what I'm going through, reactive depression. Um, you know, if, this, if, if the symptoms are just as real. And I'm, I'm absolutely experiencing it right now. And what, what are the symptoms? I mean, you know, obviously, again, the triggers of reactive depression are all brought on by specific events. And the symptoms that come on, at least for Mr. Joe so far has been extreme increase in agitation. Extreme. I was kicking things around the other night. Severe, severe headaches. Ruminating, plaguing, horrible thoughts. Hopelessness, sadness, anxiety. I would imagine if this continues, Mr. Joe's going to start losing some weight. That's for sure, because I'm not eating. Pain. Literally, physical pain in my back, in my neck, stress throughout my body. And you know what? I would also imagine that drug abuse is part of this as well. Because of the increasing amount of anxiety and the depressed mood, people probably reach for drugs. Because guess what? I had that feeling the other day, like I needed Suboxone. So... Mr. Joe's tooth is doing a number on me. Now, 
I would imagine that many of the other um, causes to stem to reactive depression are the ones that pertain to, I guess, what many people out there would view as more important environmental factors than a tooth, um, such as events like losing a job, okay, or job stress, which, again, I'm sure that uh, has not helped in terms of adding to the situation. You know, changing a job. You know, losing identity that came along with the job that you had. Losing a person in the family, guys, that's a big one. That is a big one. A family member, a death, a close friend. Somebody that you have those strong emotional ties with. It releases that emotional blockage that I refer to. Um, or bring on, it brings on emotions that possibly were not expressed before the person passed away. And I guess when you say some kind of loss in a person's life, the reactive depression is brought on because of this loss and it's always going to have the strongest ties with environmental factors and your personal relationship with these people or these jobs that we lose or, in Mr. Joe's case, this part of my body, this part of my face, this tooth. Now, we all know, I think we know at least, that uh, causes of depression are, are, and what that essentially means, neurotransmitter imbalances, is we don't carry the proper signals to the brain and the nerves, which leads to the complications that are internal. Hence, the depression. And I would imagine if you have a family that um, has a history of depression, that, you know, you'd probably be more susceptible to uh, not being able to deal with environmental factors and being uh, possibly more of a candidate of somebody that would have to deal with reactive depression. And listen, I'll tell you this. I mean, my mother was a perfect example of somebody that allowed life things, sometimes big, sometimes very small, to affect her mood and you could see the depression written all over her face. I'm not blaming my mother, <laughs> but um, listen, parents might have not even realize that children pick up on mood swings. And I certainly did. So there's your connection between family members. Now, you got to think of this also. I, I, reactive depression, without a doubt, is definitely associated with other disorders that may already exist. And some of these disorders, I mean, they're self-explanatory. I would, I would think that um, one can trigger the other, something like schizophrenia, for example. <laughs> I mean, situational moments in schizophrenia alone can act as what we what I would refer to as a reoccurring stressor. It's 
literally dealing with these ongoing feelings of emotional changes because of the schizophrenia that will have a person react to those changes, to those visions, to those voices, to those hallucinations. Somewhat kind of like when I have psychosis and I recognize it. Based on that, you react. And it would be very likely that the reaction would be depression. Clearly a physical disorder, maybe not as simple as a tooth. Okay, but I don't, you know, listen, somebody, God forbid, who has cancer, been diagnosed with cancer, okay, some kind of real serious chronic disease. Why not? Why not have that be a comorbid with reactive depression? Comor comor comorbid meaning that it's almost like two and one. <laughs> two for the price of one, everybody. Two for the price of one. Anxiety disorders. Think about those. Somebody who's constantly having panic attacks, dealing with anxiety all the time. Bam. Reactive depression. Any kind of psychiatric disorder. Any kind of psychiatric disorder can result in reactive depression. And obviously we're not talking about bipolar disorder in this aspect because guess what? Bipolar carries its own, its own type of depression for the most part, which is for the most part what we refer to as uh, clinical depression. And again, they have many similarities. But what I would say would be the primary difference is the amount of time that a person that a, a person who's clinically depressed and the effectiveness possibly of the treatment I think that that has a lot to do with um, whether or not something is clinical or whether or not something is what we would call reactive obviously um you know, that clinical depression lasts longer and it doesn't have a, a timetable in how long that's going to last. We all know that with bipolar disorder. We do know this, that a lot of times it's usually a prolonged period of time also. Um, it, and listen, clinical depression, that can happen without the presence of any kind of stressor at all. Doesn't need to be trauma in your life. Doesn't need to be a death. Really, there seems to be no apparent cause whatsoever. Whereas reactive depression, again, happens after some kind of a stressful event. And in terms of the diagnosis for reactive depression, it's basically based on the symptoms, which is why it could be so, so confusing. And I think the only thing that sets the two apart is again judging what's going on in your life that has changed that you consider to be life-altering and take that life-changing event and if you could say within three months from that time that that thing occurred that you started feeling depression 
it's a possibility that it's reactive depression. Now, some people actually call um, reactive depression as situational depression, and I believe I believe that the two are, are quite the same. Um, you know, if I was to describe situational depression, I would say that that's a depressive state, a short depressive state that comes under a change of either major or minor circumstances. So to me, it sounds like it's really just a situation that you're in. And just like reactive depression, you're focusing on a particular event, and that's the main cause as to why you're depressed, which is, I guess, why I would say it's situational. It's that one situation that you are referring to that ultimately causes the depression. As far as I'm concerned, the two of them are interchangeable. You know, in, in reactive depression, you're reacting to something that happened situationally. It doesn't necessarily have to be a reaction. It could be any kind of situation that you're looking towards in the future or a situation that has previously occurred. So, in essence, obviously, reactive depression is more tied into situational depression rather than clinical depression. And I have to imagine that for reactive depression, why not take drugs? And I don't mean abuse drugs. I mean, you know, prescription drugs. I would think that they work to some extent. I, I would hope that they work. But then again, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Does it, does it, does that life-altering situation need to be removed in order for a person to feel better? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I'm thinking that in when it comes to reactive depression, because I talk a lot about clinical depression and bipolar disorder not being able to be cured um, by like things like mindfulness, meditation. And I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm, I'm thinking that for some people it might help, um, but I don't think it's a, it's a, a therapeutic option for clinical depression and bipolar, whereas maybe for reactive depression, along with some sleep management and, and trying to have better control over those stress levels and, and maybe engaging in some meditation, that might be really, really effective in getting a person through their difficult times. Unfortunately, Mr. Joe is not abiding by any of them. My sleep management has been horrific. I have absolutely no control over my stress level. And you could probably catch me feeding a lion in a cage. You have more of a chance of seeing Mr. Joe in a cage in a zoo, feeding a lion with my bare hands than doing mindful mindfulness meditation. And I'm not, listen, I am not putting those of you down who do it. I actually commend you. I think it's awesome. I wish I had that ability. I wish. But for me, again, since reactive depression revolves around my tooth, the way of going about treatment for me 
Although it should be simple, it's really not. You know, you look at the events that are plaguing the person. In my situation, the tooth. And as much as I keep telling myself, this is life, this is, a, this is, this is, it is what it is. Eventually you're going to find out what it is, you're going to fix it. That's what's plaguing me. And it's not, probably not as debilitating as it may seem, but I just can't seem to get a grasp on it and recognize that. And because of that, I just keep doing more and more damage and keep getting more and more depressed. Because I literally do not have an understanding of the situation. As a matter of fact, I don't even understand myself sometimes. Which in essence makes me crave for the understanding. But I am so lost in my brain sometimes, everybody, that I can't even think of... of understanding the situation the only thing I can understand is that I've been through this before I'm going through it again and I look at it from the very worst possible view that you could ever imagine I anticipate the worst like I always do and I'm at the point and and this may sound a little bit crazy that I even say to myself okay Tuesday comes we figure it out which again I don't think I'm going to, but if let's say we do, then and there, I am supposed to start feeling better, right? No, Mr. Joe doesn't think along those lines. He says to themselves, what if some of those symptoms stick around to make the re- depressive recovery process even more difficult? Uh, I, I mean, what do I do then? I guess that I got to call the doctor and say, maybe, Doc, hey, it wasn't, uh, <laughs> it wasn't, um, reactive depression like we thought it was. It was maybe it was a mixture of clinical depression and, ra- and reactive depression. Who knows? I do know this, though. I do know that Mr. Joe does an extremely poor job of maintaining his mental stability and handling stress. I've done podcasts in the past of how to handle stress. I don't really do a very good job of following my own advice, which to me is quite concerning because I'm supposed to be your voice of reason to some extent. And I want to believe everybody that I've had moments of stability more than I've had moments like these. And and by God, listen, guys, I'm going to hit the stop button on this podcast in a couple of minutes. I'm going to go into the shower. I'm going to get cleaned up. I'm going to have my cup of coffee. I'm going to eat a good breakfast. I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to go to work. And I'm going to train an entire staff on something that's not really easy. And yes, I swear to you that every amount of doing that training is making me want to cringe inside. It's making me cringe. And I keep saying to myself, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't get through it. There's no way I'm going to do it but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get through it. And for most of Mr. Joe's life, when I was in a depressed state of mind, it didn't matter how many times I said I have to do something. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't get myself up. 
kind of like I couldn't get myself up to go to the gym <laughs> this morning. But guess what? I found something else more constructive to do, even better than going to the gym, and that's talking to my audience. Making sure that you guys are part of this journey with me. Making sure that I don't lose touch with my family that's out there. So as far as I'm concerned, as crappy as I feel, and as much of a big deal as I might be making over a silly, stupid front tooth that might actually be impacting my life to, to a point where I'm dealing what we call reactive depression... Listen, this reactive depression is almost as bad to some extent as some of the bipolar depression that I've been through in the past. I'll tell you this, as a rapid cycler, it's certainly lasting a hell of a lot longer. I'm not used to that. But again, in the past, Mr. Joe could not function. And I'm going to get up, and I'm going to move, and I'm going to do my thing. And you want to know why I'm going to do it? Because I know that I got, not only for myself, you got to do things for yourself. I'm going to do it, and I don't know if this is the answer that you're looking for, if the answer that you expected to hear, or if it even makes sense, but I'm going to do it because as I think about what needs to be done and I continue to cringe inside, I say to myself, I have hundreds of thousands of listeners there out there that I don't want to let down. Hundreds of thousands of listeners that would completely understand if I said, you know what, today I just can't do it. Today I need to take a PTO because I can't do it. I know the vast majority of you would understand. But guess what? I'm going to surprise you all. And I'm going to give you the motivation that you need and help you to understand that no matter how down and man, listen guys, I am clinically diagnosed with bipolar disorder. This is not some moron saying to you, well, you can do it. Get up and move. Depression is just a state of mind and we can work through it. I know that it's not what it is, guys. I know. I live it. I do it. I deal with it. I don't want to move right now. As a matter of fact, I want to hit the stop button, pull these sheets over my head and go to bed. It's what I want to do. But I'm not. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep moving because Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast is here for a reason. And if anything, it's here to help my audience make progress. And that's what I intend on doing. Keeping this positive as much as possible and getting us all through the bad times and also the good times. I want to thank everybody for listening. And of course... If you have a mental illness and you're doing well, I ask that you continue to work hard. If you love or you care about somebody with a mental illness or a drug addiction, I can ask you to continue to support that person in the very best way that you know how. And if you are struggling right now with a mental illness, with an addiction, with depression, please, I ask you to keep battling, keep fighting. And most importantly, soldier on. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Be well.
Hello, and welcome to the December 5th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life, but this is our podcast journey. Welcome. Welcome. 